Okay, so very quickly, um, uh, we wanted to have a, uh, a keynote speaker, um, even though it's, it's a long day, and we appreciate for uh, really putting in the time, a full day into our program. Rieti is, a, is a, a world-renowned speaker. I have uh, many of his, of his CDs I have at home, and uh, inspired me, helped me in my raising my kids. Um, I wish I would listen to them more often, my, my, the CDs, I mean. I mean. Um, and uh, uh, really a, a fantastic speaker. I heard him, I don't know, about 20 years ago almost for the first time, and, and I was very inspired, and, and we're very happy that he took time. He was very busy scheduled to, uh, to inspire us and to give us some insights into, into connections in, in light of the modern technology and, and all the, the things that distract us from really becoming connected to those we love most. Thank you. I'm very grateful to Rabbi Olshin for inviting me and making the details to share with you on the subject of connection for those who matter the most in our lives, especially when there's an onslaught of uh, other ways of connecting through technology that is becoming more and more of a substitute to intimacy, more and more of a substitute to the real inside of us coming out. So I'm going to share with you, as a starter, uh, many years ago working with Saatchi and Saatchi, they used to be the largest advertisers in the world. So you can imagine how important it is to answer the following question. How do you get a customer from zero interest in your product or service to want your product within 30 to 60 seconds or even higher than that need your product or service or even higher than that must have it and you've only got about 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds in the commercial in order to take that person from either zero interest or possibly even minus interest all the way up to want, need, or must have. So it's interesting, without going into all the details of this, you can imagine how, how valuable the answer to that question is in terms of sales, profit, bottom line. But the piece I want to share with you is not so much the strategies they use, which is uh, deceptively simple, but rather the following. And I'm not sure how they came to this statistic. It's, very, it's a very interesting statistic, nevertheless. It's very telling. When you hear a commercial, or for that matter, anyone is selling anything to you, whether it's information or a product or a service, how much of the buying from the customer's point of view is based upon the actual technical information that they are hearing, the actual words, versus the body language? Body language has been broken down into facial expression, tone of voice, and the body language. So it's interesting, their claim, um, I'll throw it to you, what, 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 what would you say is possibly the, their findings? How much of percentage-wise is a person buying something because of the technical information versus the person who's selling it, their actual physical connection through body language, facial expression, tone of voice? Now it's not as much as 100, it's going in that direction. Uh, not bad. Uh, somewhere in between the two. It's actually 84%. 84% of 
84% of the reason a person is buying is because of body language, tone of voice, and facial expression. So that means to say exactly how this came about. I'm not sure what the criteria was in the research, but you have to understand the answer to that question is so valuable, it's gigantic. They can't afford just to be pulling this out of the hat because they're investing billions of dollars in advertising to... I'm gonna, I was going to use the word influence, but that's way too kind. Uh, to brainwash the young generation into making a connection in their brain that connects pleasure, happiness, an expectation of emotional image of what I think I will look like in other people's eyes, cool, intelligent, um, slim, um, handsome, with it, successful, and associate all those adjectives with their product. So you can understand that we're talking about where if you now have a technology which is really taking over in terms of texting, emails, and, I, and I'm not sure if you would all agree, but um, some of you have had direct experiences where an email was sent spontaneously in response to something that was emailed to you, and the spontaneous response um, lacked sufficient thought and the body language obviously is not part of the communication so that when the person on the other end receives the email raw as it is could easily misunderstand it or actually understand it in its sharpness and then create a horrible misunderstanding that then goes back and forth um, and I'm sure none of you actually have had this experience but some of you have friends who know what I'm talking about um, there's so much more to be said about an actual connection that takes place because of the physical presence. And what's ending up happening, and I, I'm not putting this... Technology is here. There's no, there's no change in that. Uh, it's going to, get, going to get more. But the question really becomes, in the name of being more connected through texting, emails, even voicemails, uh, what's really happening is that there's a serious diminishing of a real intimacy between people because the most important components are really missing body language, tone of voice, facial expression so I'm going to share with you a couple of insights which uh, I don't think are in in any sforim at least as yet I heard this from uh, Rabbi Yaakov Greenwald Dr. Rabbi Yaakov Greenwald who wrote a sefer with a stipler and so, called Aetis Padrochus it's a very interesting uh, book that covers lots of different psychological conditions that uh, people have had in the yeshiva world uh, amongst Bakram, amongst marids, and uh, the stipler gave his advice uh, on a many different different conditions. Uh, Dr. Greenwald was one of the forerunners, one of the pioneers of OCD, and the stipler had some um, very fascinating insights in how to help people with different uh, mental conditions. So what came out of this is the following. I was speaking with Rabbi Greenwald and he quoted to me what the stipler told him is, is the meaning of the word chinuch. Now we have a serious problem because we're talking in English and English is not, is not Lashon HaKodesh. Lashon HaKodesh is a perfect language. So unfortunately we're stuck with many translations that are not only not accurate, 
They're based on popular translations, but they are actually uh, a decoy from the intent behind the word. So the word chinuch usually translates as education, teach, neither of which are really accurate. They're not wrong, but they're really not accurate. They don't really get a grasp on what it really means. So the stipler offers that the word chinuch, as with every word in Lashon Kodesh, has a two or three letter root. The two letter root of chinuch is what? For those still awake. What is, chen, what does chen mean? Or if, if any father here, chen. What does chen mean? What does chen mean? Yeah, it's beautiful. What, what type of beauty are you referring to when you say someone is matzachin in your eyes? What type of beauty? And there's an inner beauty that shines on the outside. So it's interesting. The, the stipler offered the following definition, which is mind-boggling. It, it's a total game-changer. The word chinuch, he said, comes from two letters of chen. Chen, he says, is a kesher she'enonirem. It's an invisible connection. Oh, sorry. Is this good? <laughs> Hain is an invisible connection. It's a kasher she'ein anirem. What does that mean? What's the invisible connection? And it ties into chinuch, it ties into connecting with husband, wife, dating. It connect, connects very deeply with parents and children, teacher, student, every relationship. So he offers the following. What is the invisible connection that is referred to in the word chinuch, in the word chen? So he says... Take the posuk from Shlomo Melech. Just like waters reflect your facial expressions without any deviation. Maim is always a plural, there's no singular for it. So waters, which reflect your facial expressions. There's no word in Ashna Kodesh for face. It's a Christian translation. Uh, as you know, the word panim is Singular or plural? It's plural. So the actual translation is face is. We don't have a word for face in Lashna Kodesh because it doesn't exist. You can't have a word in Lashna Kodesh for something that's not reality because Lashna Kodesh preceded reality. HaKadosh Baruch created the universe with this language. Baruch Sha'amar V'haya Olam. Your face changes every second of your waking lives. In fact, before you're born, from conception onwards, your face was changing. And even after we die, it still changes for a while till it's completely decomposed. And ask a dentist, he'll tell you there are more muscles in your face than any other part of your physical anatomy. You can make unlimited facial expressions with all those muscle combinations. So, just like your facial expressions are reflected by the waters without any deviation. That is how other people are thinking and feeling. Now here, I'm just going to elaborate very briefly. The word lave, thanks to the Christians, our, our dear Christians who love us to death, um, uh, in in uh, uh, the history of, of uh, this relationship we've had with them, um, they have deliberately chosen one definition for the word leiv, when we actually know, if we look more carefully at our own language, the word leiv has four definitions. The word leiv, first and foremost, vast majority of times, does not mean heart, it means mind, it means thoughts. The second meaning is the icon, as in the word heart, as the icon of emotions. The third meaning is the physical heart, as when you place your tefillin, keneged liboy, against the heart. The fourth meaning is a metaphor, like lev hayam. We say every morning in shirat hayam, we're referring to the heart, there's no heart in the ocean of Kriyas Yamsuf, but in the storm 
where the walls came crushing down on the Mitzrim. So in, in that center of the, the storm of the water is what's meant by Leif Hayam. We have Leif Shemayim. Ha-ha-boya ad Leif Shemayim. The fire on top of Mount Sinai was flaming all the way till Leif Shemayim. doesn't mean there's a physical heart there. It's a metaphor for the center or, the, or where there's a, the, the most intense part of But the first two meanings refer specifically to mind and emotions. The Christians only translate it as heart. And because of that, most of our translations, uh, very, very sadly, I'm, I'm saying it very kindly, it's actually tragically, um, don't realize that we're not, we're not looking at... We've got four meanings to the word Leif. Which one does each word mean in each context? The Maharal offers, if you want to know the meaning of any word in Russian Kodesh, just identify where it first appears in the Torah. And you'll discover the first time the word Leif appears in the Torah is in which, which Pasuk? He says, whenever you want to know the meaning of word, just identify where it first appears. The context of that word is the meaning of that word. The first time the word Leif is found in the Torah is in Perak Vav Pasuk Hey. In Bracious, right at the end of Parashas Bracious, Vayar Hashem, Hashem saw, Ki Rabaras Ha'adam, the wickedness, negativity of of Adam was so abundant, the kol liboy, rak rak Where do you do your machshav? What does machshava mean? Your thought. Or where do you do your thinking? In your heart or in your mind? The kol liboy, rak rak He's just thinking negative thoughts all day long. Oh, lay first and foremost means mind. What you're thinking. We say every day in in, in davening part of taken from Mishle Perak, I think it's your test pass of Kafalaf, Machshavois Rabois Ish. Oh, where do you do your thinking? In your mind. Oh, Leif first and foremost, vast majority. Lotisna does not mean don't hate your brother in your heart. It means don't hate your brother in your thoughts. Because if I don't stop thinking negative about my spouse, about my wife, about my husband, about my kids, if I don't stop thinking negatively about my boss and my co-worker, about my mother-in-law, um, or my father-in-law, sorry, just swallowing. Uh, if I don't stop thinking negatively about the different people in my life, guess what I'm going to end up feeling over here? And this is really the question. Which came first, what I think or what I feel? The greatest danger of all is that I will be dictated by my emotions, where it really is my emotions that tell me what to think. That's dangerous. The Torah asks me, Don't follow your thoughts. Well, whose thoughts am I supposed to follow? Oh, Hashem's thoughts. Oh, I'm supposed to saturate my mind with as much of His thoughts, the Torah, so that when I look at the world, I'm not looking at the world through my mind. I'm screening it through your Hashgaf Hashem, your reality. Leif, first and foremost, means mind. The second meaning is the emotions, the icon of emotions. And the reason why Hakadosh Baruch Hu uses both interchangeably is because Hashem is not interested in me just having the right thoughts. That's very, very good and clinically accurate to have the right mind, right thoughts. But Hashem wants us to go beyond that. He wants us to get excited about the right thinking, to be excited about virtues in other people, to be excited about the chesed that Hashem does for us daily, so that we fall in love with Him. And when He says to us, "I command you," To love me, love me with all your thoughts. Rahmana libabai does not mean God wants my heart. It means He wants my mind. Because how do you know if you really are thought of by another person, cared of by another person? 
So here's a Hassan and Kala, and um, he's, um, he texts her at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she, she picks up her phone and straight away calls him and says, Oh, you were still Yeah, I was. I was, I was just thinking about you. Oh, I was thinking about you too. And then, oh, how do you know that this other person really loves you? Oh, they're on your, they're, you're on their mind. Oh, Rahman Alibabai, Hashem wants our mind. How does he know if we're really his? Oh, it's all about what's my mindset. Chain, says the stipler, is chinuch. Is an indiv- invisible connection. What's the invisible connection? It's the beauty that's on the inside that you cannot see. So where do you know it exists? If you can't see it's invisible. Oh, so comes along Mishli. Kamayim apanim lapanim. Just like your facial expressions are reflected perfectly in the waters. That is what's taking place in relationships. What I'm thinking is what's going to cause me to feel that way. When people fall in love, it means they are fixated, focused on the virtues, the qualities, the good that they like about that other person. Their looks, shape of body, chemistry, kindness, responsibility... All the different virtues, their sensitivity, giving, understanding, empathy, compassion, listening. There's a long list of midot tovat, of, of excellent character traits. And in that list, we're being told that Hashem wants me to get excited, that when I think about that, I get excited about it. Falling in love is paying attention to virtue in the other person. Falling out of love is not that complicated. All it simply means is, I stop thinking about the virtues and I pay more attention to what I don't like about you. And the more I think about what I don't like about you, shape, opinions, how you raise the kids, how you are running the finances of the home, how you're dealing with my extended family, and the more I entertain what I don't like about you and allow that to continue, the more I'm going to end up feeling it over here till eventually I fall out of love. There's no real mystery over here. Love is not an emotion, it's actually a command. So I have a mitzvah to love other people. What does that mean? I have a mitzvah to look for the virtues that will cause me to feel love. I have a mitzvah to pay attention, think about the good that's in another person. To love them with their negativity. Because that's why the word reacha is in its two-letter root, ra. Rabbanishlolem, why do you choose such a strange word to denote a friend? Reacha, the two-letter root is ra. Oh, so says Rabbeinu Yoyna, in Perak Gimel, Shar Gimel, sorry, in Shari Teshuvah, he offers that the reason why Kodesh Baruch Hu uses the language of Reacha is because can you find me a friend who will never make a mistake in the relationship? If I'm looking for a friend who will never let me down, never disappoint me, how long will I be looking for a friend? A long time. So Rabbi Yaina says this similar idea in the context of what do I need the third one? What's the connection between being done chavzchus, which takes place where? Oh, in your mind. And how does that work? When you and I see, witness, hear, experience someone hurting me, wronging me, in the dating, in the marriage, with the kids, and there's another possible interpretation, which could be in your imagination. Which one am I, mechuyev, I have an obligation to focus on? What I actually experienced, my eyes heard, my, my ears heard, my eyes saw, 
Or am I supposed to select if there's any way to put you into a favorable light and interpret your behavior differently and make it look good? Which of the two am I obligated? But said which one am I obligated to select? I'm, I'm being told to control my mind and select something that I have to even create in my mind, a possible way to put you into a better light. Oh, interesting. So comes along Rabbi Nuyan and says, Aselech If I'm looking for a Rebbe, a teacher, a guide, who will never let me down, never make any mistakes, only be a perfect role model, how long will I be looking? Long time. If I'm only looking for a friend that will never hurt me, never upset me, I'll be looking forever. So it comes along, because if I'm looking for a relationship where I'm not going to get hurt, I'm in the wrong world. It doesn't work this way here. L'recha is dafka, the negative. The Hashem says, there's negative in all of us, but Hashem wants me to love you with it. Coexist with the negativity. We're living in a disposable generation where the criteria has changed for should I stay married? Should I um, continue the dating process with this particular person? Um, how tolerant how understanding, patient should I be with this kid? The criteria has changed. I'm not making good or bad, right or wrong. I'm just making a simple observation. I will recall when I was a teenager, uh, raised in a secular society, um, most of my friends were not Jewish in my class. The few that were, that was about 30%, it was a non-Jewish school, but it was still a large proportion of Jews. But what was really interesting, uh, I was the only religious Jew in the whole school, 11 years old I came from, but it was shocking when a non-religious Jew became divorced. It was unusual. Just, it was just very unusual. I'm not talking about from, I'm talking about non-from. It was just people didn't get divorced so easily. You just stuck it out. You made it work. I'm not making it right or wrong because we have a masechta called Gittin. There's, there's a whole tractate just on the subject. We invented it. But the criteria has changed. Good, bad, right, wrong. Not going there. But the pain that is becoming self-inflicted from, if it doesn't work, I'll move on. And when what we really need to reconnect to is, what's the connection in the first place? What am I supposed to be connecting to in the first place? And the answer is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if He gives me a mitzvah to love you, that means you're love-able. There's what to love in you. And the mitzvah of chen, of chinuch, is not to educate, but to connect to the child, because it's a keshesh einanira. What's a keshesh einanira? Oh, it's the invisible connection of what I'm thinking and feeling. Cain leiv adam la adam. Because if I really want to change my spouse, <laughs> if I really want to change my teenager, <laughs> anyone here who has teenagers know why some animals eat their young. Um, it's pure humor has no reflection on reality whatsoever. So, if I really want to change someone, what's, what is Shlomo Malach telling me to do? Where should I start? By trying to change you? Where should I begin? And the answer is, over here. Pay more attention to the good. Because the good exists. If Hashem is commanding me to love you, that means you're lovable. You, there's love there to be loved. And when I excuse you, find a way out to make it not so bad. If, if I were to, well, if I'm not meant to really play judge till I get into your shoes, when will I ever be in your shoe size? It's not as a shoe size. I mean, when will I have your unique variables of where you came from, from your parents, 
and siblings and the dynamic in your particular family and your background and your education and I could be married to this person and still not be in their shoes because there's no way I will fully know what they've really been through so in a certain way what's Chazal really telling me will I ever be in their real place no of course not oh so what am I being told it's not my place to judge if I'm going to judge and it's a big if if I am then I have a separate mitzvah to search for an interpretation that puts you into a favorable light look for virtue that makes it not so terrible interesting Ain done. There's no one who has a right really to be a judge. Only a Kaddish Baruch ultimately. Even though those are laws really in, in Hilchas Dayanim, but in Perki Aves, it's talking to all of us because we're all judges all the time. That's what we're doing by default. We're constantly judging ourselves, people around us. And Hashem says, take control of the only part of your anatomy and internal anatomy that I'm capable of changing myself. So the mitzvah of Chinuch is actually a mitzvah of connecting up here and in here. I'm being told to think about the good that's in you. Having the Kabbalah, call it the Sever Panim Yafais. Oh, what an interesting language. Be Mikabal each person, the Sever is Losh and Svara. What's that mean? What does Sever mean? It's thinking. Panim means Panim inside. Where do you see what's going on inside a person? You don't. You don't know what's going on inside me. So where's the only clue on the outside that reveals what's going on inside? Oh, your facial expressions. Oh, so kamayma panim la panim. Oh, so your outside is a reflection of what's going on inside. Panim, facade on the outside. Panim means the inside. Eventually, I mean, in English, you've got one word for inside, one word for outside. Why? Why? Do, no, 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 there are no mistakes in this language. If you have a word which has two meanings, and they're opposite, that's, that's not a mistake. They're correlated. The only place your spouse can look to find out what's going on inside of you, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, is your facial expressions. So comes along the stipend and offers, chinuch doesn't mean education, it means connecting internally up here and over here, and that's what you're picking up on. And then if I really want to change the relationship, if I really want to improve the relationship, if I want to get the dating accelerated, what, where should I begin? Between my ears. What am I paying attention to? What's going to count the most? And when we start looking at ourselves, say, hey, yeah, what does count the most? Shape of the body, is that the real me? Oh, it helps a bit. Um, features, okay, it helps a bit. But that's the outside, that's not the inside. What counts the most? Intelligence, yeah, that helps. It <laughs> helps a lot. Uh, finances, that uh, definitely helps. But are these internals or externals? For the most part, they're externals. What counts the most? We know the answers. The beauty on the inside. What's the beauty on the inside? Respect. How much does that count for? Zero to ten. Zero is the least, ten is the most. On a scale of zero to ten, what would, what would respect score in any relationship? What number would you give it? Ten. Um, gratitude, what would that score? Appreciation, gratitude, what would that score? On 0 to 10, in any relationship? 10. Um, what would kindness score in any relationship? 0 to 10. 11. You're going to break the right here, 12 in the corner of the left, 13 You're going to break the scale. Um, how about forgiveness? How much would that score? Whoa. 22. Yeah, now we're getting much more real. That counts a long way. Understanding, sensitivity. Love, appreciation, gratitude, honesty, integrity. Whoa, there's a long list of midot tavot, of, 
of real measures of human being. Because that's what midah means. Not just character, it means measure. Why? Because what's the real measure of a human being? Shape of our body? Of course not. How much money I make? Mm. Corporate position we hold. Car I drive? Zip code I live in. Size of my home. How many letters at the end of my name? No! What's going to count the most in any relationship? Oh, it's love. Appreciation. Gratitude. Sensitivity. Listening. Empathy. Understanding. Integrity. Forgiveness. Kindness. Giving another chance. Being done the We know that the reality. And all that starts with, what's my face saying to you? What is my face saying to you? When you're smiling at someone who matters in your life, what is your face saying? Those still awake. When you're just smiling, just smiling, what is your face saying? You're happy. If you're smiling at someone else's face, what are you saying to them? Before you unzip your mouth and say what you're happy about, what are you saying with your face focused on that person? I appreciate, I am happy that you are here. You exist in my life. Have you ever gone to a kiddush and he said, Oh, I hate good Shabbos. The person walks right by. Did I say it loud enough? Did you, have you ever had that? Uh, never had that? Right? Now, why should I be upset? You know what? It's Shabbos didn't steal any money from me. Uh, I didn't take any of my wisdom if I have any. None of my intelligence is missing. Why should I be hurt? What did that person say with their silence? They ignored me. I don't exist in their life. And they're quite happy about it. Whoa! No wonder I'm so hurt. I don't exist. I'm yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I, hello, I exist. No. Oh, no wonder. Oh, a smile says a lot. Because it's a reflection of what you're thinking. I'm happy you exist in my life. And now when we unzip our mouth and actually say what it is it that we're thinking and feeling about that, oh, that's called a deep connection. I'm not taking away from texting. It has its virtues. But don't let it ever become... Oh, I've, uh, yeah, of course I've been communicating. How? Well, we've been texting. But that's, that's not real. Real is when the body language, facial expressions, tone of voice, it makes a big difference. It makes all the difference. And that's where relationships are being compromised. And I think in some ways it's becoming a substitute, not consciously, but subconsciously it's becoming a substitute for actually meeting, actually embracing, actually smiling, actually hugging. Because I can't, I mean, you can try very hard in an email and in a text. A voicemail certainly can do a much better job of communicating what you're feeling because the tone of voice is, is going to be there. But the smile says a lot. Also comes along the stipend and offers that chen is the two-letter root of chinuch. And chinuch doesn't mean educate. It means connect. No wonder Chazal say, ain't a cup done melamed. If I'm... If I easily get frustrated or angry, of course I can't be a successful communicator. I can't be a successful teacher. Why not? Because the anger is breaking the relationship. You're not focusing on what you might have done wrong to hurt me. You're focusing on what made me angry. Oh, you better avoid that next time because you don't want to be on the receiving end of my anger, especially if I use it to manipulate, instill, instill fear. And every time you even try to stand up to my anger, all I do is turn up the volume! Sorry, I didn't mean to wake anyone up. Sorry, <laughs> big button. Uh, and then I get you to back off. That's not reality. Anger is a lie. It's a way 
of avoiding intimacy. Anger is a way to avoid an honest relationship, number one, with myself. Because if, if it's everybody else's fault, I blame you, complain about you, I accuse you, I deny it's my fault, give excuses why it's your fault, that this marriage is not working, that this dating is not working, that my parents this, uh, my brother that, um, uh, as long as I can blame others, and circumstances, the community, world politics, as long as I can blame the rest of the world and other people, who has to change? Who has to change? I don't have to change. Oh, because it's everyone else's fault that I'm not successful, happy, getting what I need out of life. Oh, so anger is really blaming, complaining, is a way of avoiding responsibility. It's a way of avoiding changing the only person I'm responsible to change. So anger becomes a substitute. It's not real. It's a lie. Hey, I'm really angry. Yeah, but you know what? I can really prove that anger is a choice. But you're provoking me. You make me so mad. Listen to the words. You make me so mad. Who am I saying controls my emotions? You make me so mad. Oh, so I can't control. Have you ever, ever seen someone who's really upset? Really angry. Oh, excuse me, the phone. Oh, yeah, how are you doing? Have one second, one second. How do you switch from... Uh, one second, I'm so upset with this person, and suddenly the phone goes, I pick it up, oh, hi, yeah, how are you doing? The doorbell, oh, it's the doorbell. One second, no, 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 if I'm in the middle of anger, how do I switch like that? Oh, it's a choice. Oh, it's really a choice. Maybe it's not a conscious choice. Number one, anger gets me out of intimacy with myself. Into me, see, it's a cute word. I don't get to look at me, because I'm, I'm busy turning the mirror around and showing everyone, look, you're the problem. Look, you're the problem. It's your fault that this marriage, when you're more loving, more appreciative, more giving, more respectful, then, then you have no idea how much love is just waiting to burst out on you. Hey, as long as it's someone else's fault, I don't have to change. So I avoid intimacy with myself. I'm not busy looking at me. I'm busy looking at everyone else. Number two, I avoid intimacy with you because when I get angry with you, how do you respond? Do you say, oh, you know, this is wonderful. You know, the one thing I always look forward to in marriage was growing together. And I, I, I love growing. And now you're telling me all the things you hate about me, don't like about me. This is so good. Now I know what to change. You know, you call out, Salah, what's the matter with this person? No one, no one responds like that. How are you going to respond if I get angry? More listening or you back off? What are you going to do? Feel that you're going to try again to share your insides with me? Or you're going to be more cautious, feel less safe, that you can trust me with what's really going on in your life, in your aspirations, in your disappointments. Oh, so anger, even though it appears to be an honest communication of my frustration, ultimately it actually is a brick wall. Another brick, another brick that closes off the relationship between us. Because you feel less safe, less trusting to share what's going on inside of you, because if you see me get upset easily for almost anything, then I'm basically saying, you have to be like me. And if you say things I don't like, or do things I don't like, I will use my anger to control you. But really, it's not real. Because the moment my back is turned, my kid, my spouse will do what they want. And all, all I'm teaching and training them to do is to avoid my anger and not get caught next time. And I'm actually training them to lie to me. Anger is a lie. It's not real. Rambam says it's not me. Rambam says, I think it's Perik Dalet, Perik Beis, Mishnah Dalet. He says, there are two mitzvahs 
Every middle, I've got to go to the Bainley, middle. Find the middle of every single one. Except for two. Goiva Leib, arrogance. Vechena Kas, he mida ra adlam It's exceedingly harmful. The royal Adam Shisrachik Mena, a person should train himself to distance himself at Katsa to the other side, the other extreme. The only exception Rambam offers where Kas could work, what an interesting language. He says, if it's Kas upon him, the Lokas if it's only on the outside, but you don't think or feel it, oh, that's okay. You know why? Because Cain lev Adam, If I'm not feeling and thinking angry, then you're not going to be picking up on the anger part. You're going to be paying attention. So it's only a facade on the outside, and I'm just using it to discipline, help get things back. And you're not going to be picking up that you're actually angry inside. Oh, that could work. But then that's not the anger we conventionally refer to, because usually anger is when we're out of control. Here he's describing where it's in control. That's exactly the only time it ever works. Otherwise, it, it has no upside. Anger has zero upside. It just hurts. Blood pressure, frustration. It'll probably bring up your list. Instead of you listening and apologizing, you're probably going to bring up, you'll defend yourself, attack me back, and you might bring your list of things that you don't like about me. And you might have a better memory than me. Oh my gosh, your list might be a lot longer maybe even more accurate, and now we're really spiraling downwards. But the third part of anger is it's not only a way to avoid intimacy with myself, it not only avoids intimacy with other people because it's actually creating barriers that people will have less or feel less safe to open up to me, but actually I'm avoiding a relationship with Kodesh Baruch Hu. I'm avoiding an honest relationship with myself, with other people, and with Hashem. Because Kozman, I'm blaming the world and other people, who am I saying is in control? My boss, the coworker, the client, my spouse, the kids, they're ruining my life. Meanwhile, I'm not accepting Hakol mine. Really, you control everything. I'm accept my response to what happens to me. So ultimately, what we're bringing out is that Chinuch, in the, in the word of Chen, is actually a connection. That's what Chen means. It's an invisible connection. What's an invisible connection? What I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. And what Shlomo Melech is offering is that if I really want to change anybody, start with here. Feel differently because I'm thinking differently and you end up responding to a different me. I'm going to share with you a little truth. Unbelievable, unbelievable thing that happened to me about six years ago, I think it was, in Kutcher's. Uh, you know Kutcher's in the Catskills? Uh, there were about 400 people in the audience. I think the average age was about 107. There was one lady there, very astute, she was 104, Someone asked her what's special about your age. She said, no peer pressure. <laughs> so, I would say the average, average age in the audience was 70 to 85, whatever. Um, I pretended it was 50. The ladies were very happy with that. Um, so I said, you know what? Um, in this room, there are about 400 people. Average age is about 50. What's 400 times 50? So we did the math. What's 400 times 50? We could take a vote if you want. 20, it's 20,000. Thank you. 10 points for Gryffindor. Excellent. So, well, I'm impressed you got that. Wow, okay, good. So, I'm in the right place here. So I asked, I asked the audience, you know what, there's, there's 400 people in the audience, average age 50, you add up, you're 50, you're 50, you're 50, you're 50, you're 50, go around 400 times 50 is 20,000. In this room, there are 20,000 years of accumulative life experience. That's interesting. So let me ask you, this is, very, well, this is a very mature audience, so grandparents, great-grandparents, and one, one gentleman said I'm married... 63 years. 
unbelievable. He said, I want you to know that marriage is not a word, it's a sentence. And of course he meant it in pure humor, not reflection on reality whatsoever. So uh, you have a very mature audience here who've been through everything, the whole spectrum that life can possibly offer you. Life, death, tragedy, ups, downs, everything. And I asked them the following question. In your 20,000 years of accumulative life experience, what will make two people happy in a relationship, husband and wife? What will make two people happy in a relationship, father, son, mother, daughter? Mother, son, father, daughter. What will make two people happy in any relationship? Is it, I'm going to offer you two options. Option number one, how similar we become over time. How much more I get you to be like me, think like me, behave like me. And less different. Is that what's going to make us most happy in a relationship? How similar we become and less different over time? Or is it number two? Not how similar and less different we become, but how well we respond to the differences. How we react to the differences that will surface between us. Mature audience, 20,000 years of accumulated life experience. How many said, happiness in any relationship is all about getting my spouse to be like me. Getting my kids to be similar to me and less different. Zero. Not one. Is that telling? Wow, what a lot of time and energy that can save me if I take that to heart. I don't have to wait till 70, 80, 90, 100, or here, 110. I don't have to wait till 120. What do you say to someone on their 120th birthday? Have a nice day. <laughs> I don't have to wait till 120. I don't have to wait till 120 to get it right. Let's learn from the experience of those who've been there, done that, and are saying unanimously, happiness in a relationship does not depend on how similar we become. And I'm here to claim the following. People don't get divorced because of differences. It's not the differences that force people apart. It's not wanting or being able to handle the differences. It's not the differences. It's not being one. I, just, I can't. I just don't want. I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's not the actual difference. It's how I'm reacting to the difference. I'm going to share with you, I don't think this is any Sfarim. And I think it's a very big avla that it's not if it isn't yet. But I'm going to say it anyway. I heard um, from the same Rabbi Greenwald, who heard this from the Chazanish, the following story about the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was 16 years old. When he came home, one Ben Azmanim, his mother was very distraught. She was very broken. She had remarried. She lost her first husband, the father of the Chavetz Chaim. And in those days, an almana really didn't have a choice. If she could, if, it was a big if, if she could remarry, there was very little choice. She most likely had to agree to something that was much less than what she really wanted, just for the sake of panas, just for the sake of, of being able to be supported. And she, she married someone of much coarser character, and he brought with, her, with him a daughter from his previous marriage. And when he set eyes on the 16-year-old cover time for the first time, Behind the Chavetz back, who was in Yeshiva most of the time, he was putting pressure on the mother to marry the Chavetz Chaim to his daughter. And she was distraught. She was completely mortified by this. She knew her son was a very special. He was, he, he was righteous. Talmud Hakam. He could do so, so much better. He comes home, Ben Asmanim, and he, he picks up immediately something strong. And he asks his mother, what's the matter? And she tried to deny that anything was wrong, and then she broke down uncontrollable tears. And she told him the truth. And he said, Mother, why are you crying? I'll marry her. And he did. 
and you still behave in the Chavetz Chaim. It's not who we marry that's going to make the ultimate difference. Who are we entering the marriage? And I'll prove it to you. You can say, oh, well, that's the Chavetz Chaim. Let me prove it to you. Two people dating, and um, they've got a new app underneath the coffee table, and it's tailored to your character. And you've got the list of everything you're looking for in a spouse. And everything that's on this list, you've got a rating, 0 to 10. And guess what? This young lady that you're meeting is scoring 10 out of 10 out of 10 on everything. The looks, chemistry, uh, intelligence, family, uh, financially responsible, emotionally healthy, happy. Whatever you want on your list is on your app. And guess what? She's scoring 10 out of 10 on everything. Now, unbeknownst to you, she's got the exact same app. And under the coffee table at her end, you are scoring 10 out of 10 on everything that she's looking for. So let me ask you, can we say Mazel Tov, yes or no? Why not? What's the hesitation? Sorry? Okay, they're still different. But is is, is there enough to go on that I should say, hey, I think I'll marry this person, yes or no? Yes, good. Good to have a commitment from a, from a male, that's great. So, so Mazel Tov, now here's the real question, here's the real question. We've scored 10 out of 10, and if you're not sure, if there's something you're hesitant about, so do your due diligence, you know, uh, check out um, I don't know, the, the assistant um, preschool uh, teacher, um, or maybe, I don't know, you can go to regression therapy and find out who she was in the previous guild school, etc. And it, let's say you come back and you find out that everything you're looking for is perfect. 10 out of 10 on everything. And everyone who you speak to, who's independently giving their opinion about this person, is scoring 10 out of 10 on everything you're looking for. So it's very clear, hey, I can't, I can't get better than this. Here's the, here's the big question. If two people have found everything they're looking for, and now they get married, Mazel Tov. Does that equal a perfect, happy marriage, yes or no? Why not? Because they're not the same, and therefore, which means what? What differences? They're, they look the same on paper, at least. What differences? They have never together brought a child in this world. Never have they mother fathered a child, which means that they may not have the same way of how to raise this kid. Hey, have they both been in the same, this new situation of sharing in the finances to know how we're going to respond to this financial setback over here, this job setback? How do we know to, how am I going to respond to a health setback which I've never had before or my spouse is having a health setback? There's so many different scenarios that will come up that neither of us have ever responded to before and we are about to for the same time and possibly in very different ways. Oh, so it's not... The differences that push people apart. It's how are we going to respond to those differences. Here's the crux. Who you marry is not going to be the same person you're married to. I don't mean physically. I mean, are you the same person today as you were two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Of course not. Oh, do you expect the person you marry to be the same person two years later, five years later? You will change. He, she will change. Oh, so who you marry anyway is not going to stay the same person. You want the minimum, it's true. But guess what? What matters more? Who I marry or who am I entering marriage? Who I marry or how patient will I be when differences come up? How in control of frustration, anger will I be? How loving, forgiving, understanding, appreciative, grateful, even with the negativity, negativity. 
Will I still love you even with the negativity? Or will I allow whatever's negative to drown out the good? So it comes along, the real connection is what I'm thinking that affects what I'm feeling. And if I want to change how I feel, where should I begin? What am I focusing on? How does Hashem help us realize what am I really meant to focus on? We're living in a very difficult, very difficult generation for many reasons. The media is definitely not helping us. Ladies and gentlemen, what's the goal of the media? Let's say newspapers, what are they selling? You go to a sewer stand, uh, I'm sorry, a newspaper stand, and what are they selling? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to be so honest, I beg your pardon. What, 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 what is the newspaper selling, front page at least? Good news or bad news? Be honest. It's really bad news. Um, and tomorrow, in order to continue selling the newspaper, what do I have to come up with? More bad news, more severe bad news. Now, when we get exposed to more and more negativity, this person's been caught on fraud, this one's on rape, this one is on bankruptcy, this one has um, uh, done a, um, a uh, fraudulent deal, um, a, a Ponzi plan, there's so, so, a scheme, there's so many negative things we're being exposed to. What happens to our sensitivity to negativity? Do we become more sensitive or less? What happens to our sense of morality, our standard of morality? Stays the same or gets less because we become less and less shocked. And therefore, what happens to our expectations of moral standards when we become overexposed to, and especially children who are being overexposed to the media? And am I exaggerating? We've never had a generation in world history that is so exposed to information. True or false? Overexposed to media, true or false? Overexposed to multi-cultures. Within, within our own culture, we're exposed to many cultures. We're, we're, it's a melting pot today. I'm not saying good, bad, right, wrong. I'm saying this is a reality. This is an observation of fact. We come from many different backgrounds and we're forced into the same shul. Friday night, Davin in the one that's closest to my house. Uh, Shabbos morning, I'll in the rough shul. Shudah Shlish as well. Usually, I uh, like to have that um, by the shtibol over there and um, like the, um, the food there, whatever. And before you know it, I'm davening in three, four different places, part of my community. What's that doing to our children? They're exposed to Hasidim, Ashkenazim, Sfatim, Yekas. I'm not saying good, bad, right, wrong. I'm just say, sharing a simple... Our children are being overexposed to multicultures and multi-values reflected by different cultures. And we haven't even started talking about the secular world that we're surrounded by. Our children are being raised in probably the most confusing generation possibly in world history. And that's why we can't judge our kids for the struggles they have. But how can I connect more with my kids? Smile, number one. Open my mouth and tell them what I like, love, admire, appreciate. Because these kids don't have the emotional vocabulary, let alone the maturity to tell you the confusion they are confused by. And when, when we are overexposed to the media, that's, a lot of it's very negative, the children can't even express the fear. Hurricane Sandy, tornadoes, Oklahoma, um, from Jews in jail. How do, how do we explain that? I was speaking in a Beis Yaakov recently, doesn't matter where, in a high school of Beis Yaakov doing teacher training, and I was talking about this exact Nakuda, this point about role models, on the outside at the very least, being thrown in jail for all sorts of accusations and the principal 
pulls me aside at the end of the talk, says, you didn't know, so, and I'm sure they, that re- people realize you said it in total innocence, there are three teachers in the room, and only about 35 teachers in the whole room, three teachers in the room whose husbands are in jail. This isn't a base Yaakov. So our ch- and our children know it. They're not idiots, they're not fools. They may not be articulating the confusion, but they are confused. If I don't get to my kids first, connect to them, talk, play, love, appreciate, admire, the world will get to them first, and the world view will get to them first. And the morality that's immorality, and the standards that are being thrown in the faces of all of us is lowering our expectations of society in general. And we become less and less outraged, less and less shocked when it happens close by. So how can we combat all that? So I'm going to share with you in closing, where does the Torah help me understand what is the most powerful way to connect to the next generation? It really is generic to our spouses, friends, but what's the most powerful way to connect to everybody? So I'm going to share with you a taich, which is really posh shot, but it's not usually how we read the following words. Which, which words would you m- might argue is the mission statement of Klal Yisrael? give you a clue. It's so valuable, if you could put it that way, that the Torah itself decided that even though it's one of the Tarek Mitzvahs, instead of waiting for it just to happen, asks us to make a verbal declaration of it every day. This mission statement is Shema Yisrael. Okay, let's look at arguably the two most prominent messages in Shema Yisrael, first line. Shema Yisrael, listen. Listen Jews, I'm a Jew, so I have to listen to I'm listening to my own words. Shema Yisrael. What am I supposed to listen to? What am I supposed to take in, be macabre, pay attention to? Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is our power. That's what El really means. El means power. Elokeinu. He's our power. Throughout our history, we see He's been with us all along. All the other nations come and gone. You never went to Yeshiva with a Roman, a Hittite, an Amorite, a Midianite. No, Babylonian, Greek. No. <laughs> all gone. Byzantine. No, they're all gone. We're still here. Okay, Ishmael also, because that's a promise to Avram Avinu, whose expiration date is coming up soon. We're still here. Oh, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu is our power. We have a unique relationship with Him. He's the only one. Those are the two messages. You are the only one power. What's the next most prominent message in Shema Yisrael? Ve'ahavta, love me. How much do I have to love you, Hashem? Bechol levavcha, with all your thoughts. Uvechol nafshecha. All your positive thoughts, all your negative thoughts. Yetzatov, Yetzatov, retranslates, not as evil inclination, retranslates as negative and positive thoughts. I'm not going into detail now. Lukutim Ran in Torah Memtes talks about this very openly. Uh, the Zoya says the word Yetzatov is from the word Yitzar. Yitzar is a painter or designer. And the Zoya tells us, Vayitzar Hashem Elokim, Gemara Baruch HaSamach Aleph says, Hashem created man, Yitzar with two Yitz. Yetzatov, Yetzatov. So says the Zoya in Parshas Bracious, a Yitzar is a painter, a designer. Hashem created each of us with two internal designers in our minds. A good and negative painter. A good and negative designer. Words of Rabbi Victor Miller, who embellishes on this. You and I, in the corridors of our minds, have lots of pictures. What's marriage? What's kids all about? What's life about? Life is great, or is life a battle? LG! The non-Jewish world says LG means life's good. I think the correct gear is life's great! But if you really want the Yiddish version, life's gewaldic! But then, of course, if I'm negative, I could also say, LG stands for, let's grumble! Let's complain. C, G, interchangeable. Comes along, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
and says, He created us with two painters in our mind. I get to choose what each picture looks like, and I get to choose what caption to put underneath it. So even if I had an abusive childhood, I can still turn myself around. There were plenty of people who had really difficult backgrounds, and they became the Amude Ha'emunah. They are the forerunners of our religion. Avram Avinu had a father who turned him into Nimrod, betrayed by his father. Sarah went through ten tests, almost all ten with Avram Avinu. She was kidnapped twice. She took on a co-worker. Ladies, what do you think is a good idea? She took on a co-wife. Is that a good idea? How do you offer your husband? How about you take my, um, you know, the Shivka, you marry her, maybe we'll have children. That's a very dangerous idea. She had a Baruch HaKodesh. She went through a lot of difficulties in her lifetime. Avram Avinu went through a very hard time. Rivka, her father was Besuel. That was not his real name. The Torah calls him that because that was the nickname he was given. It was a play on the word Besula. He was a sick man. He was a king who had an edict. He had a law that anyone who married in his territory had to visit him the night before her chuppah. That's what a sick man fathered Rivka. The She didn't learn from her father or her brother Lavan, who was such a liar, con man, gangster, he was such a lowlife. Lavan makes the Godfather look like Winnie the Pooh. He was, he was the worst. And Rivka Imeno came from the soil. Lavan fathered Rachel and Leah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they made different choices. It doesn't matter where a person's come from, how difficult it is. We can make different choices no matter what the culture is around us. Shema Yisrael, Shem Akin, Shem Achad, you're the only one. I'm going to love you, behold, Levavka, with all my thoughts. Even whatever negative I've had, guess what? I can turn that around. Sarah Shnira, she could have thrown in the towel, married once, divorced, married twice, divorced, never had any kids. Revenge Shalom, why are you doing this to me? I don't know, I've got nothing to show, I just, just, all I do is so close. What contribution have I got to make? Oh, Sarah Shnira had a finger on the pulse rate of the Jewish girls in Klal Yisrael. And she said, let's do something about this. One Rav, two Rabban, three Rabban. Nobody gave her support. Her brother came back with two words from, I think it was the Bells of Rav, who said, Bracha v'hatzlacha. And that was enough to keep her fueled. Till eventually the Chavis Chaim got behind her and others. She started with five Talmidot. Five students in 1923. By 1939, 39,000 students. That's pretty impressive. And what's her background? She had a wonderful father. She learnt with him. And she, she was special. She had an amazing smile. She was a very powerful, excited, passionate about Yiddishkeit. She could have easily, in her mind, said, Rebbein Shalom, what have I got to show for myself? Married once, twice, no children. Divorced. But I look at my resume. And she could have really felt sorry for herself. She could live in self-pity. I don't think there's a person in this room who's not here because of her. She's had an amazing ripple effect and she didn't even have support at the beginning. But she had her fingers on the pulse rate of Klal You can look at almost any individual who became really great in the Jewish and non-Jewish world and you will discover they didn't have all the support they had. They could have been, I feel sorry for myself. God, you didn't give me a good background. I haven't got enough finances. I don't have enough support for my husband, for my wife. I'll never make the grade. I'll never change. I'll never change anything around me. And then I give up because there's nothing I believe I can think or say or do that will make any difference. And Hashem says, no, love me with everything. Behold, with all your thoughts. Turn around the negative, you can. 
Ubakol Nafshika. Even when you die. There's only one shot. If anyone can come up with another one, I'll give him a hundred dollars. I don't have the cash now, but I'll send you a check and I mean it. Bechol nafshecha means I feel no tell nafshecha. Even when a person dies, how will I go? I'm going to go. Everyone's going to die eventually. The question is, how will I go? Not how I die, but will I go screaming, crying, revolting? Why me? Why me? I'm finished, man. I've got, I've got so much still to do. I'm a good June stalker. As a mitzvah. Or will I go saying, look, I'll, I'll, I'll stay alive to the last second. I'll fight to stay alive. But I'm going to go saying, I love you. And every morning, every night, we train our minds in what we're going to say when we go. I love you no matter what. We're training every day in dying. Hashem wants me to love with, with all my ma'od. The Shalakad says ma'od is the same as Adam. With all my talents. Adama from the ground. All my raw talents. Ma'odecha. Chazal tell us all my possessions. My money. Dava'acha. Last mission in Brachas. Bechol midah umidah. Play on the word ma'od. Bechol midah umidah. Shu ma'odid l'cha. No matter what Hashem measures out to me. Ben midah toivah. Where there's obvious blessing. Shalom bias. Children. Health. Wealth. Career. Or whether Hashem's extracting payment for whatever is paying, I'm paying back and it's not so good. How should I react? How should I respond? Be exceedingly, exceedingly grateful. Whoa. So Hashem wants me to not let go, no matter what. I'm sorry, I just read that window over time. I'm supposed to finish it at 3.45. So I'll close now on this point. Hashem is telling me, I, He is the only power. And number two, love him no matter what. Uh, these messages shall be on your mind. And now comes the big part. Shinon, the Christians translate as teach diligently. It's not what it means. There's no word that says teach. Shinon comes the word shinon means sharpen. Shinon means repeat. Shane, the two letter root of shinon means what? Tooth. What's the function of a tooth? Oh, it chews, repeatedly chews. Oh, so when's the only moment that you know someone enjoys what they're eating? The moment of chewing. Your husband comes home and says, Oh, this is a delicious steak. Can I have another piece? You're not sure he really likes it because he's a tzaddik and he doesn't want to hurt your feelings. Or, option number two, he comes home and he says nothing. All he does is, Hmm. <laughs> oh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Oh, means chew to your children. Repeatedly live the mitzvahs with excitement. How do I daven? How do I say because of Mazan in front of my kids? How do I say Ashayatza? How do I go to the daf or to the minion or not go? How do I... What's my response to difficulty in my life in front of my children? means role model to your kids with excitement. Just like when you savor the t- taste of dark chocolate. <laughs> How do I live in my home? What I'll read, what I won't read. Well, how do I connect to my kids, to my spouse? Yeah, not going to repeat every word you said. No, I, 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 okay, I'll tell you every word I said. Okay, now you know? Good. <laughs> Am I connecting? Yes, my body's geographically here, but where's my mind? Ah, my mind's in the office, responding to someone else's text. Hashem says, how we connect is going to take place in our homes. How we live outside our home in front of our children. 
how we live. As Hashem in my life, do I really love you? How do I respond to the traffic? How do I respond to a different person that's different to me in front of my children? They are learning from my role modeling how to bring Hashem into my life. Do I respond with love to Baruch Hu, no matter what? And it's, it's never too late to make the commercial. I can change the commercial. Even if I've been a bad one or not a good one all the way, I can change me. It's not never too late. How do I go to bed at night? How do I get up in the morning? How do I go to bed now? 8.45! I've got Now, there's no one here who can relate to any of this. Some of you have friends who know what I'm talking about. How do I go to bed at night? How do I get up in the morning? Uf kumecha, how do I get up from adversity? Uf kumecha, how do I get up from a difficulty, a setback in front of my children? Oh, Dad, yeah, he had cancer. Wow, he never complained. Oh my gosh, he continued living. He wasn't counting the days till he died. He counted every simcha. He lived till the last day. And he said, I'm grateful for all that Hashem gave me. How do we live through difficulty? Is how we connect to ourselves, how we connect to others. We feel stronger because of what we say with our face, our mouth, and what we say up here. The real connection starts with what I'm thinking. That's what affects what I feel. And that's what Cain Lev Adam Ladam, that's what other people are picking up. So if I really want to change you, change here and here, because that's what you're going to respond differently to. You'll change your response to a different me. Thank you for your patience. I'm sorry I went over time. We're going to have a minute. Thank you. Please forgive me. I'm not going to say.